morning, so you might like to turn there in your Bibles from chapter 13 and verse 1. We're going to read the first 23 verses and then we'll dive into it together. Matthew 13, 1 to 23. I'm reading from the ESV. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. It must have been a fairly significant crowd. You've got to get into a boat, kind of get out so you can speak to everyone. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He or she who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, But to them it has not been given, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another case thirty. This is God's word. Well, Jesus told stories, and so should we. I wonder if you've ever heard that. Jesus told stories, and so should we. Don't hear it much these days, but it was pretty common a few years ago, and it was the idea that Jesus communicated through stories to reach people, So we should do the same 
if we want to get the gospel across to people who don't know Jesus. We should tell more stories. Maybe less scripture, more illustrations, more stories. There's just a couple of problems with that idea. The first one is this. Jesus' stories or parables are the very words of God, which is powerful. My stories, though they could be okay and maybe occasionally good, are not powerful to change or transform the human heart. Now, not to say we don't use illustrations. You know we do. If you've been here a while, you know we use illustrations to, um, to help us understand a passage of Scripture. But alongside the word to give a little bit of a, an assistance along the way. Second problem is, Jesus' stories don't only seem to be about revealing truth to some, but also about not revealing it to others, specifically to those who are opposed to him or those who are against him. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus, the disciples come and they say, why do you speak to them, that is the crowd, in parables? And he says, he answers to them, for to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak in parables, verse 13. So they're not necessarily what we think they might be. So this idea Jesus stole child stories and so should we? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. As we head into chapter 13 in the last two weeks of our series, we'll be hearing a number of parables that Jesus told or stories. Parables and stories that are, in fact, the very word of God. And we're looking at the parable of the sower today. And so as we do that, we want to ask the question, what are parables? What do they do? What do they say to us? And how are we to respond to them? So the first thing I want us to see from this passage today about parables is this, kind of as an introduction to the whole chapter because we'll be on them next week as well as we conclude chapter 13 and this series in the first half of Matthew that we've been doing. Firstly, parables picture the kingdom of heaven. Parables picture the kingdom of heaven. Again, in chapter 10, the disciples come and say, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So in some way, the parables that he's telling are revealing to them the secrets about the kingdom of heaven. Parables picture that kingdom. Parables picture eternal realities that are otherwise unaccessible. Uh, in verse 34 and 35, uh, Matthew says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Wow. Do you see that? Matthew says that Jesus' ministry is the fulfilment of prophecy. And in this particular way, as he tells parables fulfilling this prophecy, he is telling parables that contain things that have been hidden since the beginning of time. 
And they're now being revealed in a way like never before. And that's exactly what we find throughout this chapter, isn't it? Again and again, Jesus tells these parables and he begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Have a look with me, just cast your eye down to to verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And again in verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed it in his field. Verse 33, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took or yeast and hid it in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he has and bought it. And verse 47, again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Do you see it? Parables picture the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus interpretation or explanation of what parables do. That's the first thing we see. The second thing, which is a little bit more confronting, is this. Parables reveal the state of our hearts. Parables, and particularly this one, reveal the state of our hearts. This one that we're focusing on today is the parable of the sower, or often called the parable of the soils. And it's all about the different responses that people have been having to Jesus and his message of the kingdom and will continue to have to Jesus and the message of his kingdom. Verse 19 of chapter 13. Jesus says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. This is the message of the kingdom that's being spoken and these are all the different responses to that message. And what we see is that each of these responses, Jesus says, flows from the hearts of those who are hearing this message. And so each response reveals the state of the heart of the hearer. And there are four responses or four hearts or four soils that we see here. The first one is this. The first heart that's spoken of is the hard heart. And you see that in verse 19. Again, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the heart when someone hears the message of Jesus and is not interested not interested at all, who does not welcome Jesus and his kingdom, but flat out rejects it. Uh, Most likely this is a reference to the response that we've seen in the religious leaders of Jesus' day that he had been having so much trouble with. But the same is true for anyone who uh, flatly rejects what God is saying through the Lord Jesus. I think this is the response Jesus speaks of in verse 11 when he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. There's this particular group in the crowd, these 
religious leaders perhaps and others who are outright rejecting the kingdom message of Jesus and himself. And Jesus says clearly in their case, parables are actually part of his judgment upon them for that rejection. They've heard the message of Jesus and his kingdom. They've seen what Jesus had been doing. They've seen his miracles. They've seen all his signs. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they still say, oh, show us a sign. They're not actually that interested. And then they conspire together how they might actually literally destroy Jesus. They're flat out rejecting him. Verse 13, Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which is 800 years before when uh, God said to Isaiah about his ministry that he would go to a people whose hearts were hard and unresponsive and they would hear but never understand. They would see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they barely, sorry, with their ears they barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with, they, with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and that I would heal them. They They don't see it. Those of the hard heart don't see it, don't obey it, not interested, want to get rid of Jesus. And so Jesus is not surprised by this and says, in fact, this is the fulfilment of prophecy. He knew this would happen. I want to say to you at this point, friends, this is not the kind of heart you want to have when it comes to the words of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Verse 15, this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. These are not the kind of eyes you want to have or ears you want to have. You don't want to have eyes that don't see the wonder of Jesus or ears that don't hear his saving message that he proclaims. But this is the response we see in the hard heart. So the first one's the hard heart that gets revealed by Jesus. The second one is the shallow heart. We see that in verse 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises, however, on account of the word, immediately he or she falls away. This is the shallow heart. On hearing the message of Jesus, there is a clear, even joyful response. The message of Jesus and his kingdom blessings sound great. Forgiveness, grace, new life, all sorts. But... This gospel doesn't have a cross at the centre of it. This is what you might call your best life now gospel, free from suffering. A gospel that doesn't begin with take up your cross and follow me, but a gospel come to Jesus and everything will go swimmingly for you. This, friends, is a false gospel that turns Jesus into a genie there to fulfill your own desires. 
A gospel that fails to see him as the king who saves you by his death and resurrection and whose glory is to be your delight. So not, to, not surprising, is it, then, when tribulation comes, when life gets hard and suffering happens, and especially if persecution happens for owning Jesus before others, if the intensity towards him is turned to you, this kind of response to Jesus sooner or later will evaporate and vanish into nothing. Jesus describes this as having no root, no depth, no substance. Just a convenient message about Jesus that works for me until life doesn't work. And again, friends, this is not the kind of response you want to have to Jesus, is it? And it causes us to ask the question, I wonder what kind of good news do we believe? Makes us think, doesn't it? What kind of gospel have we embraced? Is there a, is there a cross at the centre of our gospel? Does our gospel, our following of Jesus, actually anticipate that there will be suffering in this world for us at times? This is a broken, fallen world, and he's, yes, he's going to fully redeem it, but until such time as we follow him, there will be tough times. And that isn't an, isn't an indicator that you can't trust him anymore. In fact, that's precisely the time when you need to trust him the most. That though it's hard, he's going to work out his good purpose in your life in amongst that suffering. Does our gospel have even the possibility and perhaps the likelihood if we speak up a little bit and stand out a little bit and talk about Jesus a little bit that we might receive some flack? We might, it, we might get persecuted. Maybe. It's possible. Jesus did. Pretty sure they killed him. As we follow him, yeah, it may happen. Student is not above his teacher, I think Jesus said. What kind of good news do we believe? What kind of good news do we proclaim? Do we maybe dumb it down a little bit and try and make it more palatable? Minimise the cross part and the taking up of the cross part, and maximise the benefits part. What kind of gospel do we tell other people about? Do we dumb it down to get people over the line? <laughs> Maybe just to get them over the line. That'd be, and then they can find out the rest. Not that they're ever going to know everything. We don't, right? Maybe we dumb it down just to keep people at church. Maybe to keep family members at church. And we won't challenge them on certain things. We won't speak truth, the truth of, our, of Jesus into each other's lives in, because we don't want them to be put off. We need to keep them in church. We need to be careful that we're not fostering a shallow heart. The third one that gets 
uh, revealed by Jesus is the... Mm, this is seized up on me, I think. we go to the next slide, please? Ah, there it is. The divided heart. And I reckon, friends, as I looked at this during the week, this is the one that's potentially the most searching or revealing for us. And hopefully the most arresting, because we are all prone to this, right? Have a look at this divided heart, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one whose heart hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Divided heart. Here's the words of the kingdom. Here's the words of the message of Jesus. But then those very words are strangled or choked so that rather than bringing life, giving transformation to the hearer, there ends up being this spiritual wasteland overgrown with thorns, so to speak. I don't know whether you've ever had a full-on fight with cooch grass. It's, it's serious, right? It gets in and it goes deep. Praise God for Roundup or glyphosate. I think you can still use it. They still sell it, so you must be able to still use it. Right? I want to get it out of there. It's going to choke everything. That's the same idea here. What's the, what, what's the cooch? What's, the, what's going to choke the word? Well, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And both of these things can dominate our lives, can't they? Can't they? The cares of this world? This world has so many cares. So many things that we may be concerned about. Our health. Our safety. Our reputation, our families, our job security, our global situation, pandemics, just keep going. Lots of cares. All and any one of them can become all-consuming and overwhelming. Jesus is saying that you won't, not that you shouldn't have any cares in this life, but that you should trust him with those cares. And then there's the deceitfulness of riches. Do you notice that? It's not just riches. He doesn't just say, you know, the cares of this world and riches. No, he says the deceitfulness of riches, which personifies riches, doesn't it? What's he saying? Well, he's saying that Riches are deceitful because they present as the answer to everything in this life. If I just had, if I just had, I don't want to be rich, I don't want to be super wealthy, but if I just had, then this, you know, I just need to work harder and get to that point, whatever that point is, and then everything will be okay. I'll be fine. We'll be, you know, we'll pay off the mortgage and, you know, Riches present as a way you can eliminate all your cares. And you can end up 
pursuing wealth and security financially because you're so concerned about everything else in life and that becomes your answer. Maybe riches might be at least a way if you're realistic enough to go, you know, they can't eliminate all my cares, but at least if, I have, if I've got some you know, financial clout, I can control my circumstances to some extent and reduce my cares. I'll still have them, but I can reduce them. It presents as the way you can secure your peace and your happiness in this world. There's only one problem. It's deceit. <laughs> it's all lies. Did you know, you know, newsflash, did you know that rich people also go to counsellors and psychologists? Did you know that? Amazing, isn't it? I thought all the problems were going to be sorted. No. Potentially, actually, those who are wealthy, more so. Think of the smiling face on the child in Africa that you've seen who has nothing. See, wealth or riches never stops promising everything and yet rarely delivers anything other than a divided heart, a mishope, and worst of all, spiritual barrenness. This is what Jesus is warning us of in this parable. And this is what he's calling us away from. He is to be our true and unshakable hope. Because as our series says, he is the king who saves. His promises are breathtaking, both for this life and for the life to come. And he will never walk back on a single one of them. Never. Whatever he promises, he will deliver 100%. As he said, in the time he said. I wonder this morning how you're going with the cares of this world. There's some pretty big ones out there at the moment. And we're seeing them in real time often now, thanks to social media and YouTube and whatever else. How are you going with the cares of this world? Or more to the point, where are you going with the cares of this world? How about the deceitfulness of riches? Maybe are you buying into those promises that are false? How's your heart just now? As you sit here this morning, let this parable shine its light into that very place. As you look there, where where is your hope? Where is your hope at the moment? Who are you looking to? Or is your heart kind of potentially becoming somewhat divided? And God's word is being choked because of all these things. Now, maybe as you hear this today, it's a call to repent for you. And I'm going to go out on a limb here to some degree and say it's most likely a call for all of us to repent and believe in varying degrees. Which is precisely what Jesus calls us to in the last one. The fruitful heart. Look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, 
He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. The fruitful heart. This is what Jesus is calling us to today. This is what he wants for us today as we hear his word this morning. This is what he means when he says in verse 9, He or she who has an ear, let him hear. What do we notice about this response to Jesus and his kingdom message? Well, that's different from the others. Well, the response hears and understands the word, which is key. And we need to unpack this word, understand. What does it mean? What does Jesus mean here? What's, I mean, we, we kind of think, you know, just kind of cerebral, grasp something intellectually, that's understand, but there's a lot more in this word to that. This word means to absorb, to take in, to obey, or to own, and especially to be shaped by. Let me say that again, to absorb the word. Not just to hear the word, but to absorb the word. To take it in, to welcome it, to obey it, and then to be shaped by it. This is the response that Jesus is calling us to in this parable. And this is what happens in the fruitful heart when it comes to the words of Jesus. Guys, it does not take, this response does not take the Aussie approach to hearing the words of Jesus. What is the Aussie approach? She'll be right, mate. Because according to Jesus and these four different hearts, she won't be right, mate. If we don't take the words of King Jesus seriously and take them to heart. She won't be right, mate. She will be terribly wrong, eternally wrong, devastatingly wrong. The fruitful heart is not complacent, notice, about his message of the kingdom. The fruitful heart submits to and is shaped by Jesus and his kingdom message. And the result of that? A fruitful life. A life made new by Jesus and his powerful word. A life transformed by the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, by the good news of the king who saves his people from their sins, who rescues people by his death and renews them by his power. This is the fruitful heart. So parables picture the kingdom of heaven and they reveal somewhat uncomfortably, I'm guessing, at least was for me this week, the state of of our heart. But friends, let me just say that's the kindness of the one who speaks. He doesn't want our hearts to be hard towards him. He doesn't want our hearts to be shallow in our response. So we cannot we will not be sustained by his word and by his rule when suffering comes and it will and when persecution comes and it may 
He doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want our hearts to be overgrown or overwhelmed or overtaken with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. No, he wants our hearts to be fruitful soil where there's a harvest, where there's a harvest. So lastly, parables call us to repentance and faith. He's not telling us this parable, not just telling us this parable to diagnose our hearts, he's telling us this parable in order to transform our hearts. He wants to do, us to do some soul-searching where we're at and he wants us to turn to him and not stay where we're at, which is, again, his kindness and, again, is about our response to Jesus. What kind of response will it be today? What kind of response does Jesus call you to today? Humble repentance and faith, coming to him, knowing that left to yourselves, Left to ourselves, we are blind and we are deaf and we need his blessing so that we might see and so that we might hear and so that we might respond. So, a couple of things to take home. If you're not sure how to respond to Jesus today, here's a couple of things for you to think about. Think deeply today about your personal response to the sower. One of the other Gospels tells us that the sower is Jesus and the seed is his word. What kind of Jesus are you responding to? Have you understood, not just heard, but have you understood? Have you absorbed? Have you taken it in? Have you... Obeyed the message of Jesus, the good news of his gospel. Are you being shaped by it? Be honest. Think about that deeply today. And think about that in terms of initial, when you first came to Jesus. If you haven't, if you have, if you haven't, then think about that if you're going to come to Jesus. And ongoing. What is the current state of your heart? Because this, friends, is not a once-off. Did you notice the picture is agricultural? So there's sowing, there's growth, and then there's a harvest. It's not once-off. It's ongoing. And so we're to keep responding. Not just when we became a Christian. That's, yeah, that's critical. That's important. That's where we start. But that's the start. And we keep responding. We keep having our hearts checked by him and by his word and, and purified and cleaned out and, and so on. Continuing response. How's your continuing response? Then I want us to think deeply about another thing. Not just your response to Jesus, but... Telling others about Jesus. What, are we, what kind of message are we going to tell them? I want you to try and keep two things in mind as you think about that. The glory of the good news of Jesus and the gravity of that good news. 
So from the glory of it, as you think about telling others about Jesus, don't dilute it. Don't dilute it. Don't try and make it more palatable. But understand it yourself. Glory in it yourself. Because you know what? If you're not impressed with the good news of Jesus, how do you think you might be able to persuade someone else that it's worth a look? So, understand it, absorb it, be shaped by it, glory in it, and then speak about it. Secondly, the gravity of it. And here I want to say, don't lighten it. Right? Not many things have gravitas in our lives. So much is just the norm, right? Just the everyday. But as one of my favourite authors says, we are hardwired for awe. Gravitas is a good thing. So the weightiness, the, the gravitas of the glory of Jesus and his gospel is in itself attractive. Because human beings are hardwired for gravity, for things that have weight and matter. So let's not lighten it. It's truly awesome. In the tr- I know we use that word all the time, right? Someone has a nice lunch and we go, it's awesome. No, it's not. It's just a nice lunch. God's awesome. King Jesus is awesome. So we're hardwired for all. Don't, don't lighten it because you know you'll do two things there. You'll rob yourself of what God intends and maybe even others of that sense of awe. Parables picture the kingdom of heaven. Parables reveal the state of our hearts. And parables call us to repentance and faith. He or she who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You have not left us in the dark. You are the God who speaks. And you speak powerfully into our lives in a way that nothing else can and no one else can. And you do that for our good and for your glory and honour. And so we want to say thank you. We thank you for this parable that we've looked at this morning. And we pray that as you've spoken into our lives through it, that we would turn away from things that are not awesome in reality and that we would turn to you joyfully, deeply, that we would understand, that we would welcome your word and therefore your rule, your reign as king over our lives. And that we would be increasingly shaped by your words, which are life-changing and powerful. Father, give us fruitful hearts. 
Bless our eyes and our ears. We ask this that we might see Jesus and follow him. Amen.